When I think of Harold Holt, I have a vivid memory, a strange memory. I knew Harold a little, met him a few times, but I was uh, quite fond of Zara. And after his drowning, I remember visiting his house perched on the clifftops at, uh, at Portsea. And there hanging on a hook at the back door was Harold Holt's spare wetsuit and a pair of flippers. He is, of course, most famous for his death, but he's also known, perhaps notorious, for his all-the-way-with-LBJ stance supporting the US in the Vietnam War. A new biographer re-examines the life and career of Harold Holt and confirms that he was a consensus politician and widely liked. Let the record show he helped end the White Australia policy and to get the 1967 referendum up, which changed the constitution, to count Aboriginal people in the census. Ross Walker is the biographer. He's a former high school teacher of English and literature and a lifelong admirer of Harold. His book is called Harold Holt, Always One Step Further, and is just out from Black Ink and La Trobe University Press. Ross, how did you get interested in Harold, given that you came from a Labour family? I was beguiled by him and his charming personality uh, at the age of eight before I had any political awareness. I saw him as a man and not as a politician. And seeing him on television, uh, I was charmed and by his, uh, his warmth. And my first political memory was when Menzies resigned and we were on a beach, a family group on the beach at Wilson's Promontory, appropriate that, that it was a beach, and there was a sense that was something momentous had occurred, that uh, Menzies, whose name was synonymous with Prime Minister, had resigned. And that was the first time I heard the name Holt. I also share a great love of the sea with him. There was another big political moment at around the same time in uh, June 66 yes. involving Arthur Caldwell. Remind the listener. Arthur Caldwell was speaking at a, an anti-Vietnam War meeting in Sydney at Mosman and he was uh, shot at after that meeting by a, a young man named Peter Koken who later went on to become a distinguished poet. And this was a, it was and a shock. famously forgiven by Arthur. Famously forgiven by Arthur, who said, poor fellow, mentally ill, I think, and wrote to him in the mental hospital where he was confined and admired his literary uh, skills. Now, let's talk about Holt and uh, yes. LBJ and that notorious yes. line all the way with LBJ, which uh, yes. sort of rang around the world. Did that not concern you? It must have given your mother, for example, the heebie-jeebies. She did because she said to me later when I was I, – my interest in Holt continued and when I was about 18, I remember asking her about her feelings, and she said, I, I never had anything personal against Mr Holt. I just felt all the way with LBJ was, 
was not right for Australia. Uh, I wasn't aware of what he'd said at the time, except I remember LBJ in Melbourne and some of the signs said all the way with LBJ. He didn't... um, I I looked into that and Holt didn't coin that phrase. It was LBJ's campaign slogan from 1964. I don't think that makes it any better, actually, Ross. It it doesn't make it any better. I I think it had to do with Holt's personality. He said to Tony Eggleton afterwards, Eggleton said, that wasn't in your um, script, was it? Oh, I just thought it would be a nice thing to say. (laughs) He was swept away with personal admiration for LBJ. And I think he needed the, throughout his life, he seemed to need the support of um, men with much stronger personalities. And his judgment was impaired. Thinking of uh, coinage of words like that, I suddenly remember how Alan Jones proudly claimed to have written, life wasn't meant to be easy for uh, for Malcolm Fraser. <laughs> now... <laughs> Did you agree with his political positioning on Vietnam? No. Well, this was retrospective. I knew nothing about of the politics of the Vietnam War at the time. Um, I remember seeing some of the footage on TV. But afterwards, I did a lot of reading on Vietnam and I I wrote my doctorate on American literature and film of the Vietnam War And Holt's stance on the war made me feel conflicted towards him. I think it was very unfortunate. And especially for a a political party, the Liberal Party, that claimed that they would stand or fall on the basis of their commitment to the rights of the individual, to introduce compulsory military service and for a contentious war such as that, I thought was 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 a terrible. I, I worked so, on I worked yes. on Corwell's campaign against Holt. As it happens, it was my first political involvement in a federal election. And of course it doomed Arthur's uh, Arthur's possibility of becoming Prime Minister. Okay, let's go back to Harold. Tell me about his yes. boyhood because in many ways it was dislocated and lonely. It was dislocated and lonely in that the family seemed to be dysfunctional. The marriage appeared to have taken place because his mother was pregnant and he was born seven months after the after the wedding. Uh, he always seemed to lack the parental affection that he craved. His father had hadn't found his niche. He was a school teacher but seemed not to want to persist with that. Then there was a flirtation with working as a publican in Adelaide. And finally, he um, found a niche in the theatrical industry. Well, you, but, you talk uh, about Thomas, links, Thomas, links yes. with J.C. Williamson's and then later the Tiv yes. in Melbourne and uh, lots yes. of theatricals around the family. That's right. And Holt himself had a keen interest in theatre and cinema. But Thomas Holt was travelling a lot. He was in England and America. When he was back in Melbourne, uh, Harold and Cliff would go to the Tivoli to see him and collect their their pocket money. But uh, it seemed to be a family which didn't provide Harold with the stability and the affection that he wanted. So he heads off or is headed off to uh, Wesley. And, uh, yes. of course, 
boarding schools, Ross, are places of privilege, but there are exceptions, the scholarship kids, etc. But it's easy to forget that there are often miserable kids in boarding schools who've been parked there by families who don't have much time for them. Does that apply to Harold? Lost boys. I think so. Prior to going to Wesley, he and his younger brother had spent a lot of time shuffled between various relatives in Sydney and and elsewhere. Harold seemed to spend a, a lot of his time at Wesley rather than going back home. But he seemed to find some anchorage at Wesley, especially through the headmaster at the time, L.A. Adamson, who seemed to be a father figure to him. But he had to endure a couple of losses, didn't he, at Wesley? Cliffy, Cliffy. His mother died. Yeah, well, I'm thinking of Cliffy leave school to go, to go back to Sydney and, uh, and Harold's mother, Olive, still in Sydney, dies of pneumonia. Yes, aged only 40 and uh, Harold just short of 17. You describe a poignant yes. scene at the school speech night where young Harold, yes. to receive an award for academic and sporting achievement, oh, and general character. Tell us about yes. that. Harold was acting school captain at this time, late in 1926. He had to make a presentation to Mr Adamson and also, as it was a tradition, to sing the school leaving song. And there was nobody there in his family to hear him. And apparently he never forgot his feeling of loneliness. I can well understand it. Anyway, out of all of this, he learns, I guess, a need to be nice to people, to get along with them. Yes. He has an emollient uh, personality He has the ability to build bridges between people of different points of view and to understand people with different points of view. And he doesn't push away people with different different political stances. And that becomes a theme throughout his life. He's friendly, for example, with Clifton Pugh. From the Dunmuchin Artists Colony, yeah. That's that's and very much of the left. Very much of the left and Holt's minders and uh, friends at Portsea say uh, you should um, you should ditch him as a friend, but Holt will not. I think he he sees the basic humanity of people as being more important than political ideological views, as long as they are as long as they are reasonable. Let's skip let's skip forward now and look at Holt's two decades of politics before he became PM because you say those decades tend to be overlooked because well the drama of his death so um, yes what what are, what are the significant times in those decades He was an outstanding minister for labor and immigration As Minister for Labor, he presided over a period where the dock workers seemed to be chronically on strike. The uh, number of strikes dropped uh, dramatically under his tenure, and he formed a strong alliance with Albert Monk, 
the president of the ACTU, the one before Bob Hawke. And to the degree that uh, there was talk of the Holt-Monk axis, they were said to be very friendly with each other and they sent each other postcards when they were overseas and approved of each other's, each other's trips. And uh, he was able to uh, work with communists while he had a hostility to, to communism, but he was able to work with the, um, just remind me, the name of the, the communist. Jim Healy, big Jim Healy, yes who felt that Holt was a, a good bloke. But Albert Monk suggested to Menzies that um, he should bring the immigration and um, the labour portfolios together under Holt's um, aegis because he would be able to work well in both of those together. Now, which he Holt, Holt, Holt's consensus skills like his extramarital relationships, which were many, bring to mind a certain Bob Hawke. Yes, that's been suggested. Uh, Consensus, um, moving to the middle, um, understanding other people's points of view. I think that became a problem for Holt when Whitlam became opposition leader because Whitlam was very uh, rational and argued his positions very closely and Holt could see the strength of his arguments and I think Holt himself then felt he had to explain himself or justify himself more and it may have undermined his confidence. It was more difficult for him with Whitlam than with Colwell who tended to fulminate in the, in the parliament. I, th- and, I think yes. the best thing he ever did involves the 1967 referendum. Here's Harold talking to campaigners like Faith Bandler and, and Doug Nichols. And uh, given his short time in, in high office, it's quite a legacy to leave, isn't it? It is. Holt consulted Nugget Coombs over that. And uh, Coombs felt that this, this, type, of, uh, this type of interest was uh, closer to Holt's natural um, personality and interest in solving human problems and that was why he gravitated to that and to the arts and he suggested that Holt read as much as he he could about uh, First Nations people to educate himself. He'd had no, he'd had very few First Nations constituents in his electorate (laughs) at that time. Look, most people in Victoria at that time, and that's where I grew up, had never met an Aboriginal. Never. So, uh, no, well, I think we hadn't. Yeah. So, good on him for that. There's a terrific letter which can be found online from uh, Kath Walker, the poet, also known as New Knuckle, to the, to the Prime Minister. She thanked Holt for a job well done on a successful outcome in the referendum, and she looked forward to, and I quote, further enlightened policies around education, housing, employment, and health. All very pertinent, Ross with another referendum looming, this time for an Indigenous voice to Parliament. Yes, indeed. And clearly Harold would be campaigning for that. He never had... There was never an ounce of bigotry in him, was there? 
No, he d- that's that's exactly true. He didn't have a he didn't have a racist bone in his body, and I think he re- he certainly didn't have any of the slightly patronising attitude to Asians that Menzies may have had. What's your verdict on the disappearance, Ross? You don't take the view that he was um, picked up by a Chinese submarine and taken to Beijing? That theory, um, it doesn't deserve to be dignified by discussion. Many people die and their bodies are not found, but that doesn't mean they're not dead. But there is a there there is an uncertainty around um, deaths where where you don't have a body. But I think there's little doubt about what happened when he went into the water. He was he was pulled under by a huge wave or combination of waves, and probably uh, driven into rocks and knocked un- knocked unconscious. The only mystery is what he was thinking when he went into when he went into the water. God only knows," said one of his friends. You know the yeah. extraordinary thing is there's only been one other biography. Yes. Is it extraordinary for a he for a prime minister who was in office for only two years? But then there's uh, you have to consider that his. His contribution to Australia for several decades before that was considerable, but many Australian prime ministers have only one biography uh, written about them. Okay, what's your summing up of Harold Holt then, uh, Ross? Uh, he was um, well. I think he was he was a bridging figure between Menzies and. Whitlam uh, later on. He was a man with uh, remarkable social skills, interpersonal skills. And as I said uh, a moment ago, I think he made a remarkable contribution to Australia before his um, prime ministership. Uh, His first year went quite uh, smoothly. Uh, he was uh, highly um, uh, praised by many at, at the end of that year. But the second year, he around the middle of the second year, he lost, uh, he seemed to lose confidence and one loss uh, or defeat seemed to, seemed to follow after the other. Now, Ross, that, that, leads, that leads to another conspiracy theory, which you must have heard, and that is that he was so dispirited that he committed suicide, but you totally reject that as well. I do reject that. I think he had self-destructive impulses. I think there was the Holt, the um, the life affirmer, and Holt, Holt with the self-destructive, uh, reckless impulses. And I think that that's probably the same two sides of the of the same same coin. But he was a man who at at the time was not well. He was not well physically. Uh, Menzies described him as ending the year in a very I think he. I think he ended the year in a very poor, um, a very poor state of nervous health, and his judgment was impaired to a to, to a greater degree than, than than usual. He had become he had become accident prone. 
Ross, on that, on that enigmatic note, we've got to wind up, but thanks for your time. Ross Walker, Ross's book is Harold Holt, Always One Step Further, and it's published by Black Ink and La Trobe University Press. Thanks, Ross. Thanks, Philip. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.